Today I want to talk about the issue of pride. And uh, I know for, you know, some of our society is just is just telling us all the time, you just need to be more proud of yourself. You just need to love yourself. And uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about all of that. And uh, sometimes people are their own biggest fan, you know. And if you are your biggest fan, then nobody else can be. Come on, are you with me? And uh, so I feel like that this is one of the things that is very much opposed uh, to, to what God is calling us to. And, uh, you know, one of our, our part of our vision here at our vision here at Overflow is that people would encounter the reality of Jesus. That's really like what we're all about, like that people would come when we have our services. We don't want people, any person to leave without encountering Jesus. But not just that we would just experience that for ourselves, but also to empower people so they can go out and they can see other people encounter. Jesus as well. Are you with me? And so we very much, we believe that this is a forerunner calling. And by forerunners, we don't necessarily mean that we're on the cutting edge or anything like that. That, that might be some of those things. But when we talk about forerunners, we're talking about people that will lead the way for Jesus to come. People that will lead the way, provide a way for the Lord to break into people's lives and bring healing, bring restoration, bring God's best. Come on, are you with me? And so we, we get this, this forerunner. There's a forerunner in Scripture, and his name's John the Baptist, right? We all know the stories of John the Baptist. He, he hung out in, in the desert. He lived out there. He ate locusts and honey. He was just kind of eccentric. He's kind of weird. I always picture John the Baptist probably had like an afro with like bugs in it. You guys know what I'm saying? Like probably had some dreads. Like he was just this dirty guy that kind of lived outside of town. But he only the, the only ambition of his life was to prepare the way for Jesus. And, you know, I feel like that as believers, this would this be the ambitious of our ambition of our life? That we would always be people that are preparing the way for Jesus. That we'd be people that are saying, man, God, my life's goal is not just that I would be satisfied, not that I would have a nicer house or a nicer car, and not, not that there's anything wrong with all those things, but the number one ambition would be, Lord, can I provide the way for Jesus to break into somebody's life today and bring something? And so we, we look at John the Baptist, and, and one of the things that I noticed about John's life is that he wasn't really caught up in himself. And so in John chapter 3, verse 25, uh, some of his disciples, now John had disciples, right? I believe that anybody that's going to do something significant that has a vision that's greater than themselves, people are going to go crowd around them to support the vision that that person has, right? And so I believe that we're all called to have a vision, but we're also all called to support a vision. And so John's vision was preparing the way for Jesus, but he had these people come alongside of him that said, hey, we're going we're gonna to run with you, John. We're gonna, we, we believe in what you're doing, so we're going to be your disciples. And so, in fact, many of the disciples that followed Jesus used to be disciples of John. Okay, so many of the people that began to, to follow Jesus. So it says this, they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan. Now, these are his disciples to whom you have testified. Behold, he is baptizing. Now, when, when you read that, you say, what, Jesus baptized people? Well, actually, it wasn't Jesus. It shows us in the next chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, that Jesus wasn't actually the one doing his ba the baptizing, but Jesus' disciples were baptizing people. But Jesus was in on it. Are you with me? He wasn't actually doing the Duncan. Right? Or the sprinkling, if you think that they were sprinkling, which they weren't. Um, and so, and, <laughs> and uh, it, it says, and all are coming to him. And John answered him and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's 
voice. Now, John was referring to himself as basically the friend of the bridegroom. He was like the best man. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. I must increase. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's a little bit opposite than what we hear thrown at us every day. You must increase. No, I must decrease. He who comes from, from above is above all, and who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth, speaking of himself. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now he's speaking of Jesus. Now, Jesus said this about John the Baptist in, in, in John chapter 7. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 7, verse 28. Jesus makes a statement about John the Baptist. Of, of anybody born of women, none, none is greater than John. Why did Jesus say this about some freaky dude that lived outside of town, right? Who, who ate locusts and honey, who was eccentric. How could Jesus say that this is the greatest man that ever lived? Listen, Jesus was putting him above Moses. Jesus was putting him above David. Jesus was putting him above the prophets. Jesus was saying, this is the greatest man that ever lived. Why? But then Jesus said, well, whoever's born into the kingdom is greater than him. But why? Why was John so great? Because he lived in ambition to prepare the way for Jesus. He lived with ambition to be one that says, I must decrease. Gang, listen to me. If we are going to live a life that will prepare for the coming of Jesus, whether his, we're talking about his, his, his coming rule to reign on the earth forever and millennial and, and to rule in heaven and us be part of that, or we're talking about the coming of Jesus for the moment, we must learn to live the decreased life. Are you with me? And that's no fun, is it? And nothing, listen, nothing will stifle the advancement of God's kingdom like pride. Nothing will stop the work of God in your life, in my life, and in the lives of people that we're called to impact. Nothing will stifle us more than the issue of pride. So let's talk about the dangers of pride real quick. Are you guys with me today? Number one, pride is an exaltation of self. We call that idolatry. So pride is idolatry. To put yourself first is idolatry. Y'all all right? So when we are exalting ourselves, when we're always promoting ourselves, what are we doing? We're committing idolatry. Let me say this. This is, this, is, this is the bomb that hit me on Friday. Sin always has I in the middle of it. You can write that down. You can tweet that. Sin always has I in the middle of it. Sin always has I at the center. All the way back, when we look at the first sin that ever happened, it wasn't in the garden, it was in heaven. Isaiah chapter 14, and this is speaking of, uh, of the fall of Lucifer, who we call Satan. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you have destroyed you who have destroyed the nations of the world. For you said, I will ascend to the heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside over the mountains of the gods, far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you. 
and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Did you know that when we see Satan, this will be our response to him? Really? You were the one controlling me the whole time? Really? Now, when we see Jesus, we'll be utterly amazed. We'll be completely fascinated and locked in. But when we see the devil, we're going to be like, Saka, really? Like, I fell for your, your little schemes. How, how did this happen? But the point here is that the enemy became the enemy because he put himself at the center, because he made him made it all about himself. I will be like God. I will ascend. I will do this thing with all this ambition that the world is telling you to have. God saying, "I will not have it. You'll be cast down." So pride is an exaltation of self. It's idolatry. Now, listen. We all deal with pride. I know I deal with pride. How many of y'all have to spend a lot of your time every day laying down your pride, shutting your mouth, listening, right? It's difficult. Now, there's a difference between being prideful about your pride, <laughs> come on, and being, right? Because you can't, that's right, right? You can call it swagger, you can call it whatever. But God calls it idolatry. <laughs> All right. So, number one, pride is an exaltation of self. Sin always has I in the middle of it. It always does. Even when you spell it, right? You guys got that, right? Okay, I just want to make sure. Just making sure. All right, number two. Pride puts us in opposition with God. Now, this is difficult, right? I mean, how does pride put us in opposition with God? Check this out. James chapter 4. Now, I don't normally read from the message, but I really like this. It was fresh. James chapter 4, verse 4 through 10. It says, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up being, end up enemies of God and his way. And do you not suppose that God doesn't care? The proverb has it. This is he, he fiercely, he's a, he's a, he's, he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge. That's what he says. It's obvious. God goes against the willful proud. But gives grace to the willing humble. So let God's work, so let God's God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you is what it says in other translations. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Isn't that good? And in other translations, this statement is, is it's in Proverbs, first written in Proverbs. Then it's also written in First Peter chapter 5, 5. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, pride is one of the few postures that we that we have that we can have as a human that is actually offensive to God. God is not easily offended, but there's one thing that offends him: human pride. Pride offends God. Pride offends all of heaven. Are you guys with me? 
And we've, we've got to be okay with the truth of the scriptures. Really? Can God be offended? Is God surprised? God's not surprised, but God is offended. He is put in opposition with pride. Uh, Proverbs, in some translations, says this. He mocks proud mockers. He mocks proud mockers. This is why we see, uh, you know, when... when a lot of times with the 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 atheist is the if there's an a an atheist it stands if if it stands for anything it's angry right why do we see this because there is a pride that wells up that says no i'm going to do things my way right isn't it interesting that rebellion is, is, is always is always in that sense i'm going to do things my way it's not about god's way it's rebellion it's sin to want to do things everything my way and listen, pride will end your spiritual development. Nothing will end your spiritual development like pride. Because you're saying, I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. I, don't, I have no need. It's all good. I'm all good. So what happens is that opposes us to God. Why? Because we're saying, God, I really don't need you. This is why he gives grace to the humble. Because humble says, man, God, I need you. And so what is the state of your pride? I'm not talking about the prideful moment that you're like, oh, man, let me just tell you the way it is, right? And it gets you. But the posture of pride, is it, is it, is it a more of a humble weakness that says, oh, I'm prideful sometimes? Or is it, a, is it an arrogance? This is just who I am. This is what I'll do. Are you guys okay? So pride puts us in opposition towards God. And that's not easy. It's not easy to oppose God. But pride will do it every time. And it will end your spiritual development until you humble yourself. Let me just say this. God loves you so much, and he wants you to come to him. And he'll do whatever necessary to crush you to get you to the place to be humble. He'll use instances, circumstances, difficulties to get you to be dependent upon his son, Jesus But pride will say, I don't need God. I don't need grace. I earned this. <laughs> All right. All right, I want to read I want to read through this little section we have here. It's you might be full of pride if. <laughs> I'm gonna read through it because I have a lengthy notes, but I'm going to read through it. You might be prideful. You know they have the you might be a redneck if. This is yeah. You might be full of pride if, number one, you boast in your independence. I don't need nobody. I don't need anything. You boast in your independence. Number two, you compare others to your strengths, abilities, gifts. You tend to spiritualize everything in comparison to yourself. Well, if they were more like me, the world was more like me, eventually you get to the point, well, if God were more like me, spiritual pride. Okay, number three, you answer to encouragement or correction. Encouragement or correction is often, I know. Now, I call this the 18 agenda. I know, you know, because when you're like 18, you know everything. Sometimes I wish I could go back in a, in a time portal and go back to Josh Brown when he was 18 years old and ask him lots of questions because, man, he knew everything, right? <laughs> What's interesting is the older I get, the more I realize that, I, man, I just don't know. <laughs> I 
I tell people sometimes, you know, experience is a little overrated. Because it makes us think that we've earned some kind of badge of wisdom. And maybe you do have wisdom, but do you wear it as a badge or do you wear it humbly before the Lord? So, your answer to encouragement or correction, I know. Yeah, I know. I know many of y'all are young and you hear that all the time. The I know is is, is the mantra of the unteachable spirit. People are only unteachable because they're prideful. Mm. Proverbs twenty six twelve says, "You see a man who is wise in his own eyes; there is more hope for a fool than him." First Corinthians eight one: Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Number four: This is, you might be full of proud if. You have more answers than questions. <laughs> you need to be heard. You talk more than you listen. You reveal more than you conceal. <laughs> even a fool is thought wise, Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Right? <laughs> Other words, shut up. (laughs) If you have an answer for everything, you might be full of pride. Because I I can promise you, you do not have all the answers. No one does. So, number five, you think that you are deserving of reward. Notoriety, position, appreciation, or authority. Let me read that again. Let me set that in for you. You think you are deserving of reward, notoriety, position, appreciation, or authority. Anytime that we are entitled to any of those things, pride has set in. I deserve. I deserve. Let me tell you what you deserve. Okay, I won't. So you might be full of pride if you boast in your independence, you compare others to your strengths, abilities, gifts. Notice it's yours, your strengths, abilities, gifts. Number three, you answer to encouragement or correction as often, as often. I know. Yeah, I know. Number four, you have more answers than questions. And number five, you think that you're deserving a reward, notoriety, position, appreciation, or authority. It's called entitlement. All right. Let's talk about laying the pride aside. How many of you want to lay your pride aside? Now, number one, if we're going to lay our pride aside, number one, the first thing we've got to do is put others before yourself. Put others before ourselves. Um, so much in society. Take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. That was not the ambition for Jesus. In fact, I, I'm convinced... <laughs> I'm totally convinced that if we will recognize that we are the supplier for people, the, 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 the product will never run dry. And so what happens, we focus so much on ourselves, then we get it for ourselves, but, but we don't ever give it away. And so we're, we're constipated spiritually, right? And so we just got all this stuff, and it's just great for us, but it doesn't benefit anybody else. In fact, people find you annoying. 
That's right. And one of the parts that we missed out there is pride disconnects us from God. It disconnects us from family. So many times we go around and we're boastful, we're prideful. What happens? It pushes people away. You're like, well, I don't want to be around me. Because all you do is talk about how awesome you are and how much you've done. And Listen, if the, the Christian life was meant... The Christian life was meant to to be lived interdependent. That we're dependent upon God with other believers. Uh, One of the most prideful things I've ever seen is these people that, like, they just drop out of church. We call them de-churched. We've come up with a word for it because it's so common. People are like, oh, I don't really need the church. We have church. I'm I'm a believer, and I just serve God with my family. That is the most ridiculous thing. Now, I'm preaching to the choir today because you guys are here. That is so ridiculous. You need the church. You can do far more with with other believers than you can ever do on your own. How prideful is that? I don't need the church. I don't need to be faithful to church. It doesn't do anything for me. Do you see how me-centered that is? So, put others before yourself. The golden rule, right? Jesus said, treat others, Matthew 7, 21, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Not treat others how they treat you. <laughs> That's not the golden rule. But this is what society, what the world is training us in. I don't benefit from this relationship. Right? It's all about you, isn't it? I know this is a sobering message today. I'm trying to be happy. All right. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do not be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Well, if they were more like me. <laughs> Lord, please. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Then it goes on to say that he was, although he was God, he humbled himself in the form of a man to came and to serve mankind. That we would really follow Jesus. That we would be people saying, man, God, I just, it's all for you and others. So put others before yourself if you want to lay aside the pride. Number two, you've got to pursue humility. Notice I said pursue humility, not be humble. Because the moment you think you're humble, you're not. None of us are qualified to write a book on humility. In fact, I'm a little bit bashful even talking about humility because none of us are really humble. But humility is a direction, not a destination. That we will pursue our lives and say, God, I just, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's not about me. I'm not trying to develop a name for myself. I'm not just trying to advance and be ambitious and all this kind of stuff. Listen, there's nothing wrong with ambition as long as you're ambitious about the right things. First Peter 5, 6, so humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. 
Humility, again, is a direction, not a destination. None of us can say, I used to be proud, glad that's over. Right? None of us can, well, I used to be so full of pride, but I'm not anymore. Bless God. Right? Listen, grace is only available to those of us who recognize our need for it. Grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. Law to the proud. Proud opposes. Proud opposes. That doesn't mean that you need to be proud in your opposition towards people. Or you need to be like God. Or be like me. No wonder the world is so turned off by the church because it's so full of spiritual pride. It's not really pointing to Jesus. It's just pointing to us. You know, just be like more like me. I've got a problem with that. Well, God's got a problem with that attitude. Y'all okay today? All right. This is toxic. This has not been a fun series for me, the last, especially the last couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right? Okay. So pursue humility. <laughs> Number three, flip the glory switch. Flip the glory switch. Why y'all Googling? Oh, okay. It does. Giving God glory is glorifying the Lord and our response to be recognized. Glorify. Now, listen, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're like, oh, bless God, it's all because of Jesus. You know, it's funny. We, we see these people get these awards, you know, that live like the devil, and they get up in front of, like, thousands of people, and they get a reward. Oh, I just want to thank God. And we think that that's giving glory to God. That is not giving glory to God. Giving glory to God might or might not mention God. Just because you mention God doesn't mean you glorify the Lord. And just because you don't glorify the Lord means that you didn't. But it mean, but what is your posture like when you are recognized? It, it doesn't laying the flipping the glory switch doesn't mean like someone tell you, man, you did a really good job, and you're like, well, bless God. It's all Jesus. I, I love what Bill Johnson said. He said that uh, someone came to him and they sang a song or did a dance or something. And they came to him and they were like, oh, it, he came to them and he's like, oh, really good job, and they're like, oh, it was all Jesus. And he said, well, it wasn't that good. Right? So it probably wasn't all Jesus. Right? Some of you just need to learn to take a compliment and just say, oh, man, thank you so much. That's really encouraging to me. Amen. That you can glorify the Lord just like that. Man, I don't have it all figured out either. Because, you know, I, I mean, I'm the pastor. People come, that's a good word today. And I can just be, oh, bless God. It's all Jesus. Trying to have this false humility. How many know that that's not real? How many know that that's just trying to say the right things and people see right through it? But what is your posture when some, do, do, do you take that and you say, oh, man, thank you. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being honored. Scripture calls us to be, the problem with honor is when we keep the honor. When we don't go, when we get in our car, when we get alone and say, again, God, I thank you so much that I just, I get to do this. And you might tell that in front of somebody, but you might tell it before the Lord. Are you guys with me? It's not just saying the right thing. It's the posture of your heart. And let me just say this about honor. If you're always honoring yourself, by the way, that's not honor. You can't receive true honor. And we've got a lot to learn about honor. We've got a lot to learn about it. Honor means putting people first. That's kind of where it starts. 
And honor looks different for different people. Me honoring my kids now looks a lot, and them honoring their dad now will look a lot different in 40 years. Hopefully I'll still be alive. That's sad. Why are y'all laughing? Bless God, brother, it's all Jesus. Listen, the goal is never to be greater. The goal is never to be greater in the sight of people especially. The goal is to be pleasing to God with all that I can bring, that I can bring him a greater offering. So when people come, whenever they compliment you, you you receive that, oh, man, thanks so much. I don't have it all figured out. You know, I'm learning, I'm growing. Appreciate that. And then when you get before the Lord, you're just like, man, God, it really is all you. Right? But don't give the people this false sense of, of humility, the super spiritual hoax. Right? Because it is. It's all Jesus. Okay. And number four, nurture brokenness. The brokenness is an art. I remember um, when I was a student at Christ for the Nations, you know, in the 90s. Early 90s. I remember because I'd had some stuff in my past that developed like a hardness in my heart. And I came to the Lord and he's working those things out. But I, I remember David and I remember the the things that David would say about, you know, the thing about David is he, he was always soft hearted. He was always humble. You know what I'm saying? He was always tender. And so for me, I always admired that. And, and in Psalms 51, if you guys are dealing with hardness of heart, if you're dealing with, with pride, if you're dealing with these things, that, then I would encourage you to get in Psalms 51 because Psalms 51 is where, where David goes to the Lord after he, first of all, sleeps with another man's wife, right? And then he has her husband killed, Right? What's crazy is Uriah, the guy that was, the, the guy that he had killed, the night he got home from war, David wanted him to go and sleep with his wife, so it looked like that Uriah got her pregnant and David didn't, and it says that he slept at the king's door that night, that he, that he slept on the outside of the, of the palace all night. He didn't even go home to be with his wife. He wanted to honor the king, so David couldn't even get him to cover up what he had done, <laughs> And so David sins, right? He sends him in front of the, the whole army, and then he goes out, and, and, and Uriah gets killed in battle. And so David writes this psalm. He's like, man, I, I've really screwed up. What a mess I've made. But it wasn't, it wasn't about the mistakes of David that we remember, is it? I mean, we know the story of David Bathsheba. We know the story of Uriah. What is it that we remember most about David is that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what we remember about David the most. Yeah, he screwed up. He made a mistake just like all of us. But the thing that I see about David is David maintained a brokenness that when he did sin, he wasn't prideful about it, making excuses. But when he did sin, he said, you know what? I need to come to the Lord. And this is what he says in Psalms 51. I would encourage you if you're dealing with hardness, would you, would you open that? What I was saying is every morning I would get up and I'd go to chapel early, like 730, and I would just open up Psalm 51 for months, and I would just open it up and I'd just pray Psalm 51 to the Lord. God, break my hardness, break my hardness, break my I've sinned, God. I did all these things, and I wasn't really, I was confident that God had forgiven me, but I wanted my heart to be tender. And so it says this in Psalm 51 and 16, it says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You don't delight, you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David is saying, God, what you really want is not my sacrifices for sin, not my penance. What you want is my heart. You want my brokenness. You want my humility before you. In Second Samuel, this is kind of near the end of David's life. One of the, if you, if you guys will, you know, wanted to study that, and and he's he's he, he develops these people around him. We call them David's mighty men, and there were three of them that went went with David at this cave, and they're hanging out in this cave, and the enemies all around them, and they're and and they're in this cave, and everything, all this opposition, all this junk's going on, and they're kind of hiding out. And uh, it says this that. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15, it says, David longed for water. He was thirsty. And he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is the city of David. I mean, this is his city. And he's like, man, I, I'm thirsty, but only one thing will quench my thirst. That well they have outside of Bethlehem. Oh, man. If somebody would go, go there and get me a drink. From that well, I mean, yeah, we can drink whatever we have here with us. But, man, I would love to have a drink from that well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men, check this out, broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Now, David is the king. I mean, you know, it's like, bring it. Yeah, but somebody go, yeah, thank you. Thank you, servant, right? Someone just gave me a drink. And I don't even, it doesn't even say that David asked for somebody to go get it. He just said, oh, that somebody would. He wasn't saying, hey, guys, would you go? He was just saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice? This was his posture. And so they go through, they break through the enemy lines. Here's David deserving. If anybody deserved a glass of water from that, from that well near the gate of Bethlehem, it was David. Right? If anybody deserved it, it was him. And so here they go. They break through enemy lines, risk their lives to go get David just to drink a water from this well near Bethlehem. And it says this, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this. It is not the blood. Is it not the blood of men who went and risked their lives? And David would not drink it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those guys, I'd be a little ticked. <laughs> what? But it was interesting they weren't concerned about that. This is my prayer, is that I would never be, regardless of position, regardless of what I've, quote-unquote, earned, worked hard for, that I would never become entitled, but I would maintain a heart of gratitude. And we're going to talk about gratitude next week but that I would maintain a heart that is humble before God and not be a person who walks around demanding, expecting promotion from men. But everything that happens good in my life, 
that I'm offering it to Jesus. This is the spirit of humility. Can I get somebody to come play with me real quick? Would we nurture brokenness? This is what set David apart from King Saul, brokenness. He was before the Lord. His heart was always after God. It was never, was David a warrior? Absolutely. Was David powerful? Yes. Was David all the things that a great leader would be? Yes. But the, the, the X factor in David's life is that he was humble before the Lord. That he always said, God, I need you. Who am I? That these men would even risk their lives. And it would be easy for those around David to say, well, you're the king. You deserve that. David said, no, 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 no. I don't deserve this, God. Here, you have the drink. 